Oh my God, we're live. Okay. Hi, David. Hi, friends. Hello, Hi, whoever is watching this. Okay. If you ever see there's like zero people watching, it's never zero. Like we always have people watch. And then because you will see random comments show up later, but like it will always show zero on our end. But anyway, I don't really know why. Okay. That I don't okay. know where I'm looking. I don't even see the number zero. So I'm just going to assume Amazing. you okay. got it down. Yeah. Okay. I got it on. Okay. First of all, where are you? I, I'm always so curious about like in your podcast background, it's always the tree and the black background <laughs> what is it this is my makeshift dollar studio setup at home um Wait, are you okay so i wouldn't tell the audience where we live but i think are we live in like are you in some place that's like 15 minutes away from me right yeah, now I, i'm i'm 15 okay, minutes away okay. from you um, okay great and we could have yeah. done this in person we should have just done this in person. But yes, this is, I was heavily inspired if if uh, folks in the audience know about um, Zach Galifianakis, um, Between Two Ferns. That, does that Wait, ring a bell? What? what is that? No. He, he's like, it's like this YouTube show, comedic show, like, effectively. And he acts as like the most sarcastic person. My favorite part, uh, my favorite episode that he did was when he was interviewing Barack Obama. And then he had this black curtain behind him. There are like two ferns. Like it's called between two ferns, right? So like there's two ferns beside him and the black curtain behind oh. him just falls and then it unveils the the, the Oval Office um, in, in the White House. And Barack Obama was like, have you been filming in the Oval Office the entire time? Like who gave you permission to do so? Um, oh my God. But it's like heavily sarcastic. Everything is, is scripted to be fair, right? But mm -hmm. he acts super sarcastic. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to give insults and like rude remarks about each of my guests and he interviews a lot of celebrities and all that so anyways yeah. i find it to be really funny but i also like the setup in which they had or like the idea behind the setups which is why two plants black background oh my god you know what you can do like if you're into interviewing someone from let's say like a sequoia or whatever and then you just change the background to their office that would be really oh cool but anyway it would be like what curtain is going reveal on? like I... you know curtain reveal things fall down and then yeah bam but anyway dude I just saw, I'm so sorry, like, when I was sending you this, like, really late doc of, uh, you know, the prep doc or whatever, and then I saw you, like, message me in 2021. I was, like, having a heart attack because I never saw that message. And I was, like, oh, my God. And then, But you're doing such a way better job than me at asking questions. You asked me, like, how do I have, like, 100 questions? I was, like, I don't know. But, and then I listened to your question. It's so well prepared. I was listening to your chat with... um chris from ahoya and then like oh, yeah. uh the recast lady so courtney from recast so like i was listening mm -hmm. and then i was like oh my god you were asking them okay so the scenario of like let's say if a recent college grad who is like you name it's like a, i don't know zootopia or whatever in the theme i took a lot of inspiration from disney and pixar yes that's not chat gpt that's you it's not ChatGPT. I actually, so I've had a lot of friends who were just like, hey, you know what? When you ask questions, um, like, do you use AI? Do you use ChatGPT or, you know, some some uh, cousin of it? And I was like, I don't because some I'm in the first episode where, so there's, ChatGPT is great with text. You can put in trans a transcript in it, and then mm -hmm. they can give you, here are the highlights. Here are the things that you're looking for in terms of what the, the episode is, right? Here, uh, Chris, mm -hmm. you know, um, when he, you know, applied to the Princeton Endowment, his friend Seth Alexander at MIT was like, hey, you know what? Talk about timber because timber is going to be on the mm -hmm. rise and spend like three hours talking mm -hmm. about timber. Do all the research you can about timber. Sure, you'll get those facts. Those are great. Mm -hmm. um, but um, on the flip side, as you start listening it to yourself, one thing I realized, and I've only heard 
um, Chris do this in two mm-hmm. other interviews across the decades of interviews in which he did, which was he was really good at impressions. He was really good at accents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole impetus behind Chris being the first episode is like, Chris, when I get you on, you can talk about whatever. We, we will talk about LP stuff, all that kind of stuff. But by the end, you have to give me an impression because you're so good at it. And he's really mm-hmm. good at giving like, um, an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, a Yoda impression, like, um, like there's tons of these like fictional and in-person characters that he does a really mm-hmm. good job. I don't know what he does. I don't know if he stares at a mirror and just practices it all the time, but mm-hmm. the accents, the impressions, he never mentions it explicit. He just changes his tune and it sounds exactly like the character he in which he's like um, describing. Mm-hmm. And ChatGPT can't catch that because ChatGPT mm-hmm. looks at text. They can't detect accents. They can't detect uh, intonations and all that kind of stuff. So these are things that I look for in that kind of world. Um, other things like, you know, I was um, in the process of researching um, another LP for um, likely a season three, to be fair, for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you, how many seasons do you have? Like you push out stuff like every day. Oh, well, I'm I mean, like, this, this is the end, like we're recording this at the end of season one. So I don't I, like I'm taking a month break before I go on season two again. And season two is going to start like beginning of March. But that's to keep the consistency so I can keep every single mm-hmm. week. Um, But like one of the folks I was researching likely for season three, um, he, you know, I didn't realize this. But every so often his, you know, our filler words are like ums, likes, ahs, like, you know, like mm-hmm. that's our filler word. For this person, their filler word was eto, which is the Japanese version of well and all that. And I started like, okay, mm-hmm. you hear this enough times and you're like, maybe there's a through line in all of this. And maybe there's some Japanese background because normally you regress to well, like, um, uh, and he chose eto, which I thought mm-hmm. to be really, really interesting. So you double click on that and then you go in this deep dive and you find out some other world altogether. Okay, I'm gonna cut you off there because we have eight questions to get through. Okay, I just want to, and then we have like you know, you just gave me a cut of like at, at like 10:45, so I want to get through like all mm-hmm. the questions I have. Okay. I do have to run at 10:45. I apologize, but um, okay. let's do it. So the first question is, what is your journey as an IR? So you like we met when you were at on, like ODE on that on, yeah. on that edge so and then okay so and then at that point you were i assume encountering some lps or like gps or like wannabe angel investors um how do you quickly build up this network and then also your blog is awesome i'm definitely gonna link it as a resources for everybody it's a plug or whatever okay so we'll get to that but anyway so how yeah how do you like quickly build up the network i'm so impressed by the way I promise I didn't pay you for product placement for my blog. Okay. But I appreciate please, it. Please, please send over like a hundred dollars or something over a month. Thank you for the promotion. Um, so I will be honest, it actually started from the blog. Um, so I was at On Deck Angel. So I started my blog back in 2019. And mm-hmm. the resolve I had was I'm going to publish every single week. Um, but I'm going to mm-hmm. like just write things about things I care about, things I'm paying attention to. And it could range mm-hmm. from anything from LP stuff to VC stuff to startup stuff mm-hmm. to social experiments, events mm-hmm. that I host, mm-hmm. podcasts, I listen, literally anything, right? Um, and what happened was this was in 2022. And I decided I'm going to write my first LP check. And this is what exactly I want to do. And how, how people, much money did you have to write an LP check? Because I would imagine like, if you want to be an LP of somewhere that's like, I don't know, 500k. something. Like so that. I will give context. 
Um, also, my lawyer tells like, you know, for specific numbers, sometimes I'm like, I can't share nearly as much, but yeah. I want to make this as tactical as it, as it can for the audience. Usually LP checks minimum check size for merging fund managers, different if you're doing a fund three and onwards. For fund ones and fund twos are probably 100K, maybe 250K, give or take. Um, you, you made a no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I saw where you were going to. That's not the direction in which I'm going to, but usually it's that, okay. right? And if you're just another LP who's passive and just wants access to the asset class or access to the deal flow in which the fund manager is giving, you're you're fessing that up, like 100K, 250K minimum. Mm. The fund manager who wanted me as an LP, so they came to me as an LP and like, you know, they were on deck angels fellow. Um, they mm. came to me like, hey, David, you've been so helpful. You've been helpful with LP introductions and all that kind of stuff. And LP introductions, meaning I just introduced them. I didn't even know they were LPs. I was just like, these are awesome investors. Just go like, go talk mm. to them kind of thing, right? Um, and he... He was like a 10 mil fund oversubscribed to $15 million. And he's like, can, can like, I would love to have you as an LP. I've, I've, I'm fully committed. I'm oversubscribed, but I'm happy to squeeze you in some space to do mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Why? And I was like, I mean, obviously you're awesome. Like I love chatting with you, but that's different than like, if, if like someone will like make a space for you to invest. It is different. Right. And I put out a, literally a blog post this morning I was like you know how do you win deals because the it should be an in investment in the LP space effectively mm -hmm. right and it's about the value add and I was just like I was introing him I was just I, I, did I know that much about LP stuff or like how to run a fund a little bit I was um in, out on deck angels we had an emerging manager track which I was building out for our um first uh, our, our our first time fund managers who came from the angel background syndicate lead background spin out background whatever it is um and so just helping him. And he was like, I would love to have you in. I don't care what kind of check size you can give me. You can give me a $1,000 check and I will take you. Um, which is rare, right? And it's mm -hmm. he's only able to do that. Well, he was only able to do it because he was oversubscribed and he wasn't even close to the limit. So for obviously not legal advice, not investment advice, go talk to your uh, like an advisor and you know all that kind of stuff. This is for information entertainment purposes only. Um, but if you have a 10 million, <laughs> I know, I, I like, I've got my disclaimers down. Um, but like, if you have, if you're raising a $10 million or below, you can have 249 accredited investors. If you're raising a, a $10 million fund or above, or like a, a north of a $10 million fund, you can only have 99 accredited investors. Obviously, there's a different asset class for QPs. These are like qualified purchase, $5 million asset, all that kind of stuff, right? But um, for uh, like he was raising a $10 million fund. So he could do a 249 accredited investors. And I think he was at the time, he was at like 50 investors. And so he's like, I can take any check size. Um, and why that really matters is if you can only take in rounding it up, 250 accredited investors for a $10 million fund, the minimum check size you need is 40K. Give or take. Um, and because he was oversubscribed, he could take any size check. Anyways, that's why he let me in. And I said, okay, I'm going to invest because I've seen him grow. I've seen him do just amazing things. I'm going to invest anyways. Um, but I would like to invest thinking like an established LP, which I didn't know how to like. I knew like three, mm -hmm. four LPs at the time, not that many. Um, so what I did is like, okay, in trying to learn, I got to talk to other LPs. How do I go talk to other LPs? I hit up my favorite GPs. And I'm like, hey, who is your favorite LP? Who is an LP you have on mm -hmm. speed dial? And I would just love to chat with them how they how their thought process is like when mm -hmm. they invest. Um and so they were super kind. They were like, hey, let me intro you to one or two LPs. And within two months, I was talking to 80 LPs. So I went from like four LPs to like 80 LPs. And it was amazing. And I was like, holy cow, this is so tactical in nature. And obviously, a lot of it was off the record. And I was like, I need to, I think the world deserves to know. Mm -hmm. And so I put out, a, I was like, I'm going to write a blog post. I asked the 80 LPs, like, hey, would you be interested in contributing to this blog post? Half of them were like, you know what? That was your information alone. Can't tell anyone else this. It's proprietary. And I was like, I get it. 
I don't want you to run against compliance, SEC rules, all that kind of stuff. I get mm -hmm. it. The other half was like, I'm totally down to share it. 25% of that half was like, share my insight. Don't share my name because that just saves me the extra trouble of going through the compliance team and SEC and all that. And then we put out a blog post. And that was like Q3 of, of 2022. Um, happens to be my, at this point, like second best performing blog post to date. Um, and to this day, I think it still accounts for like, 30% of my blog's views in aggregate. And I started like, you know, I've written more words on my blog than like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, so the fact mm -hmm. that that stands out and it's 30%, give or take, of the mm -hmm. blogs across all the blog posts I've written is just like a testament to just how interested people were. But because of that, that started the flywheel effect of LP started reaching out and was like, hey, you're super connected. I'm like, I only know 80 LPs. Like the people that you see on here just double that number. That's oh. all I know. You only uh, know eighty LPs. That's really big. Okay, let's say. Okay, I have a couple questions there. So I feel like when you're like reaching out to these like GPs, what's your relationship with them? Are they like people went through like on deck angel? Because I kind of feel like when if let's say I ask you a favor, hey David, can you introduce me to blah blah blah? And like I don't want to ask people favors. Like I hate yeah. like just like bothering people in general. And I wonder like what's your way of like converting some like one of the connections to kind of like offering you their LP network because that's like a really valuable right they're it's kind of it's not their client but it's like you know their partner and then it's like their valuable partner so I wonder how do you kind of go about navigating that kind of like really interesting sensitive or just like intricate relationship so I will preface with I'm weird. If you look at my LinkedIn bio, I think it still says tenaciously and idiosyncratically curious. Like to this That's day, not Chad GPT too, but anyway, I keep going. It's so. not. This was prefacing that. The day I created my LinkedIn profile, that became my my bio. And I've mm -hmm. never changed it to date. And it is still to my belief to this day. I'd rather rather much like rather connect with people that I like, you know, vibe with on a fundamental level than just people who mm -hmm. click on my profile and connect with me because of my job title, which happens a lot to be fair, right? Um, but at least I didn't want the bio to be my job title. Um, which is counterintuitive because my friends tell me if you just switched it to your your job title, you could get so many more connections. I'm like, I don't really care about number of connections, I care about the quality of connections. Um, and so to rewind that a little bit, um, I'm a bit weird. I've always like it goes back to like what Techstars once said. Like it's all about give first, right? Like if you're a mentor at Techstars, the first thing they do when they, you know, they onboard you is like they give you a full document, like give first, here's all the ways to give first, here's how to position, here's a framework to think about like how to give first to founders before you even think about taking, right? And I love that motto. Um, not that I, like I didn't know that until I became a mentor at Techstars, but I also like, let's just do cool and fun things. And at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? And if I'm offering the same thing as everyone else, sure, there are probably people who are better at executing against that thing than I am. My special thing, which probably bleeds into the title of this six ways to build relationships with LPs, was always like hosting events. And I just did really weird events. I didn't do happy hours or fireside chats and all that. Um, and I did events where, you know, we had an interactive art gallery where um, all the art on the walls was co-created by all the guests and they were all like investing related. And then we then auctioned off the charity and all that kind of stuff as well. Right. Um, so those are the things we did. And we also did like, for example, the next next one I'm doing is like um, we're hosting an escape room where all the clues to escape out of the room is based on each LP stories individually. And so it forces you to talk to other folks. But it's like it's these interesting experiences that you pull people together and LPs, GPs, doesn't matter who they are. They're just like, this is just cool because I don't get to go to these things half the time. Right. Um, 
and I just have fun doing it. Like it's not work to me. It's completely play to me. Um, and this was all because prior to the pandemic, a bunch of friends and I got together and we're like, shit, like, can we cuss on here? Like there's no, there's no children on here. Right. So we can, um, but, uh, what the, the big thing was like social life sucks post-graduation from college. And instead of like just walking across the street to hang out with someone, we'd have to like travel across the city, drive 30 minutes, travel across the country, travel across the world to hang out with someone. And so how do we create a series of events where it's not just dinners and reunions and hangouts? Let's do something where we can actually get people closer together and get excited to like have fun with each other. Um, and that started with like, you know, we hosted a, a dinner at a restaurant where two Michelin starred chefs were like teaching us how to cook a meal and served us an eight course meal. Then we went on to like an escape room and a mansion and all that kind of stuff. And we like four month long cooking competition with professional judges. We just went quite, quite crazy with that. And post pandemic, it was like, how do I just like do this for the world of investors? Because I love the investor world. Um, I don't know what world you're you came from, but you are talking Michelin star dimensions. Like how much does those things cost? Like I'm recently hosting an event and then we finally got people sponsored as like cheese crackers and drinks and at a VC office. Like that's already like my max uh, at like operational level of like, you know, I don't know, as a founder. So I wonder, like, but you are, at this time, you are still, like, working at On Deck, and then you're, like, this, is like, post-pandemic, and you're doing all these things. Like, I wonder, how do you actually even make it possible from, like, an operational standpoint? I'll put it this way. I'll say passion is contagious. Mm -hmm. And what I mean that by that is... If you're doing something new and you're really excited about it and people can see the world vision behind like where you're trying to go with this and they get excited just by hearing you talk about it, they will go to great lengths to help. Where you. are you going with escape room? I'm just, I just want to know that. But like the escape room. Okay. So keep going. Escape, like like it, it, it varies, right? Like for the example, the next escape room, it's going to be at an LP's office, right? Like it's just. That that's easy, okay. right? Um, <laughs> Can you escape in an LP's office? Well, so we're we're building up all the, all the props, so all, we're like designing all the props, and we're going to put mm -hmm. that into the office and all that. And so there are many clues in which we we hide accordingly. Um, the so like let's let's say for the the the, the Michelin starred folks, right? It mm -hmm. I've always lived life trying to increase the, my surface area for serendipity to stick. And what I mean by that is I love eating. I'm like a huge foodie. And, you know, Grace, you and I, we, we yeah. vibe on a, a fundamental. We just love eating, right? Totally. And if I like a, a dish at whatever restaurant I'm at, I will mm -hmm. give my compliments to the chef and I'll ask them for the recipe. Half the time they're like, hey, you know, I can't give you the recipe, but this means so much to us. Thank you for letting us know. Half the time they're like, dude, this is awesome. Thank you. Let me teach you how to make it or let me show you how to make it. Here's a recipe and just go make it, right? And then a couple of times where I've asked that, chefs have just like, hey, you know what? If Are you free 5 a.m. Saturday? Just come in by the kitchen and I will show you how to make it and I'll teach you how to make it. And that was like great experience. And I, all I did was ask like, That's free. That's free mission level class. Exactly. And all I did was like, I really enjoyed the meal and um. Like, like, can I have the recipe? Like, I enjoyed this one dish. I really like this part about the dish. I don't know how you did it, but yeah. tell me how you did it. By the way, I want to give the audience a little bit of context of David's, like, um, appetite or, like, taste palette. So, basically, if you check out his Instagram, it's all, like, the world's most exquisite cuisines or whatever. And then, uh, you know, when he ordered a salad, it has to be, like, $50 self-made. Like, literally <laughs> the most random thing to put together into a salad. It's not even a salad, man. Like, okay, but keep going. No, I get I got like really nerdy. So on my Instagram, to be fair, like all the things I've taken pictures of were like, okay, I love I, we feast with our eyes, right? So I just like love plating and I just plate my own food and just makes it's simple things but makes it look pretty a little bit pretty. Um, 
but that's what I let's say like like artistic so to speak portfolio on my Instagram, um, which I don't really publicize with, and this is probably the first time I'm actually talking about it publicly. Um, but okay, don't follow him. Don't follow him. <laughs> I don't follow me. But anyway, keep going. I, mean, I don't. I don't need, like a lot of my friends. A lot of my college friends don't even know I have an Instagram page, like an Instagram like profile. It, it doesn't look like your Instagram page because it doesn't really have you in the it's page. Not, I, I, like it's not. I'm not in it. Like my face is not on it except for maybe the profile pic. Um, Anyway. That's, that gave it away, but keep yes. going. Um, but um, so like you just be really, really intentional, right? And then so over time, you end up building these relationships with these amazing chefs. And that's why I can invite them out to like judge for a cooking competition. That's why I can ask them like, hey, you know what? You're opening a new restaurant. Like, can we just like be a part of this music, new experience before your restaurant opens kind of thing? Um, and so those allow you to do things. And eventually it becomes like, hey, you can ask these folks for catering for larger events as well. And they're like, you build that relationship, right? Um, and so that's what happens. And that's largely what I've just done, right? And let's say the mansion, the mansion, we, we talked to the guy, the guy and the guy's like, well, you know what? I love this idea so much. Like, we're just going to give it to you like scot-free. I just want to see it happen. Just tell me the stories after it happens and like, we'll do it. And that was it. Um, and like that that's how i host events that's like over time that became one way to build relationships with folks um and for me it was a very fundamental level and it was really easy to get people excited i wasn't going like hey you know what grace come to my happy hour oh, that that's kind of exactly thing, right? what i said to you but anyway <laughs> it's uh, anyway you could have given me this advice like literally six days ago so but anyway okay let's i'm sorry but you know now yeah. on i don't know on. okay so there's like six level of connections with lp overview so like basically okay let's give us an overview of like what kind of lps are out there and then how do you find them is there any tools is there any kind of like midas list equivalent of lps and because lps are like not really shouting through the roof right like you know most vc firms are like okay here's our 65 blog and you know you hear them on every podcast but like for lps i feel like that trend just starting by because of you and some other people but anyway so the lp just started recently sharing on podcasts and like before they were like kind of like behind the shadow right so like i wonder how do you find you just explain how you find them but just give us an overview of like what kind of lps are out there so I'll give some like archetypes of LPs out there and I may mm -hmm. miss some. So uh, as I recall them, like, like, oh, we'll eventually be all encompassing. Um, so obviously I started off at Ondic Angels and that's where I got to know LPs, right? Mm -hmm. The easiest and most available kind of LPs are individual LPs. Um, once again, not investment advice, not kind of like legal advice or anything, but mm -hmm. literally anyone who owns a home in the Bay Area or particularly in SF is probably an LP or like a likely LP because they're an accredited investor. Mm -hmm. Because like, mm -hmm. keep in mind, like houses are like what, $1 million plus in like freaking the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone could could be an LP, right? Your dentist could be an LP. Your lawyer could be an LP. Like, you know, like dentists make like millions of dollars a year if they do decently well in their individual practice kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of these individual LPs. And their, their, their motivation usually isn't financial. Um, if it is financial, then you probably need to tailor their concerns of like, hey, you know, if you want, if it's like, if, if the main goal is financial return, you're probably just bet, better betting off like a liquid asset class or, you know, a stock market or I like bonds or whatever it is, right? Um, their motivation is usually one, deal flow, two, mm -hmm. learning. Um, and in that world, deal flow is like how, you know what, I'm not getting enough exposure when it comes to 
to enterprise deals, deep tech deals, climate tech deals. I just want to learn how you discover and how to how to evaluate great climate tech deals because I've never done climate tech in my life before. I'm speaking from personal experience. I've never done climate tech before, which is why like mm -hmm. I'm interested in investing in climate tech kind of funds. Um, the the flip side of it is um, you you have folks who are looking for like um, like I guess that's in line with learning in general, but it's like the education. Um, one uh, individual who um, I ended up like including in my blog post back in 2022 on like, it's called the non-obvious emerging LP playbook, um, was this guy, Gautam and Gautam and I used to work together at on deck and he described being an individual LP in the best way possible. And I've used it every single time I had the opportunity to share this, which is being an LP is, uh, like investing into a fund is like signing up for your most expensive newsletter subscription. Um, oh my God. It That's is, probably like a Bay Area thing, but keep going. Sorry. It's it, like, it probably is a Bay Area thing. I mean, we signed for way, like I signed up for way too many sub stacks and mediums and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I, at some point I just start like, if, if I don't read something for six months, I'm like, I'm no longer interested in that. And I just kind of move on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is true. Like you are signing up accurate. for monthly, quarterly, depending on the kind of fund you invest in annual reports that are by far the most detailed and include like insider knowledge, like no one else. And you're, you're just learning. You're like, seeping these in and in many ways it ends up becoming the most tailored mba class because you chose your professor and you chose how long you can like work with this professor and it's more than just a two-year program um and i like it i like it right that's an individual i'm an individual lp right then there's like family offices family offices range there's like smaller family offices who write like 250k to like maybe a million dollar in terms of check size and there are larger family offices they're like hey you know what our minimum check size is like 5 10 million maybe even 20 million dollars um the larger family offices are more like institutions and they think more about like capital allocation, but also like how do you appreciate the family's net worth over the next 20, 30 years? And they usually count it in generations. So like, are you investing for like, I know like um, Jamie, who I think publicly publicly recently announced that she's no longer going to be at Virtus. Like for, for the past few years, she's been investing like generation seven, eight and nine. Right. And I can say that because she said it publicly, at least on my podcast. And I think she probably said it on other podcasts as well. Um, and so that's like, how do you appreciate that generation's worth? So like generation 10, 11, 12 can do better or something like that, right? Um, so there's that. And then the, the smaller family offices, they're getting their feet wet for the first time. Likely um, they, uh, an individual has accumulated enough wealth that they can now transfer it to an estate or a, like a larger family. And they're probably also in the acts, like they see it more, venture is not an asset class to them. Venture is an access class to them um, because they are, they love co-investing or like on average, not always. Um, but they do love co-investing. So what they're looking for is like, hey, you know what? I'm investing in a $10 million fund, $20 million fund, whatever it is. And um, when that seed funds portfolio gets to series A or series B, I would love to co-invest. I would love to like get go directly into those and that kind of de-risks it. And I also have an information advantage when it comes to investing in those institutions. I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, there's also endowments, there's foundations, there's sovereign wealth funds, there's pension funds. Um, a lot of these larger players um, traditionally have very little access to venture as an asset class, unless you're um like yale princeton stanford kind of thing in terms of the the, the university endowment side of things um that's a large part of that is because one they don't understand venture and then two um a lot of their minimum check sizes for these really like pension funds are like 50 to 100 million dollars mm -hmm. and it's so hard to invest in an emerging manager or even like less than a fund three when you have your minimum check size at like um a 50 mil or 100 mil because as an lp most of the time a lot of folks don't want to be over like 10% of the overall funds commitments, right? So if you take a 50 mil check, then you effectively have to raise a 500 mil fund. And that's not most emerging managers out there. And 
if they want to get an established managers, they already have a wait list of folks who want to invest in their funds. So it's hard to get in that as well. Um, I love that. Like, I think that's a really, really strong overview. And I wonder, like, before we jump into, you know, the word intro, like code outreach, um, blah, blah, blah. So I wonder, I really like the analogy of like, this is a really expensive newsletter. And basically, you you know, you're picking like, I mean, I'm so like trying to wrap my head around like what you just said. I feel like there's a lot of process there. Um, I wonder, like, you know, you asked this to like other, you know, Courtney from Recast, I believe, like, so basically you ask them like, okay, here are three kind of situation of like GPs and, you know, some maybe like coming out of a big fund or some maybe like a um, newbie from like a great undergrad, like, you know, hustler. So I wonder when you are, you read over 50 GPs DAC before, and I wonder how do you categorize the current emerging manager uh, like emerging manager landscape and since you chat with so many lps like what are some what is like the like how would you run this if you're starting a fund today if you're starting an emerging gp fund what are like three things that you should think about doing or like if you're starting the fund a year from now what would you do to kind of prepare yourself and build these relationships? And who should you even build relationships to? And then how do you kind of like have your own list? Because, you know, you always hear about people pitching like 2,000 people and then getting like 200 investors. And yeah. you have to have like 2,000 people to pitch to, right? So like, so I wonder how do you kind of like have that? So answer the second one. And if I forget the first one, let me know. Or if, hopefully mm -hmm. maybe the second answer answers the first one. Um if if you're like if you're gonna like um there was there's a chinese proverb that like i think that uh if the best time to to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today right correct yeah. um and in that world if you like if you're raising a fund today hopefully you planted the tree 20 years ago or maybe like a couple years back let's use the uh, term of like you know someone like let's say person a let's say call him alex or whatever or her yeah. alex so like how would this alex person race because i don't want to get into any trouble so anyway just say yeah yeah so i, yeah. I like I, I can't call anyone in particular but let's say alex per se right let's say your alex is raising a fund a year from now give or take um they should be talking to lps today um and also i hopefully they have already built up some kind of angel track record um usually it takes about 30 or so angel investments before you finally mm -hmm. start realizing like, Hey, you know, this is what great founders look like. And hopefully within a portfolio of 30, 40, then you start having some clear breakout winners and you build a thesis around that where you have a unique structural advantage against that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the episode I put out earlier this week, which was with Martin Tobias and Jeff Renveld. Um, Martin Tobias is really candid and honest. And at some point you probably should have him on, 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 on this LinkedIn live or on your podcast. Would love um, to. He's right. great. He's great. Um, and one thing he says, like, you have to be really brutally honest with yourself of where you've got really lucky and where you actually had an unfair advantage that's repeatable, right? Mm. Um, there are some times when, I mean, my first angel investments that did reasonably well, um, I was very lucky. I didn't, I didn't have a thesis when I invested. I was like, these are smart people that just taught me something new every single time I chatted with them. And I, I feel like I sh like, I want to learn alongside them. I didn't really know if I was going to make a lot of money or something like that, but they were just really, really smart people. Um, and, 
and there's a lot of that, right? So one, if you're if you already have an angel track record, if you're like co-investing with folks, you should be talking to your co-investors a lot. There are a lot of multi-stage crossover fund GPs who have become either individual LPs or raise their own fund of funds, right? And a fund of funds is like you know a fund to invest in other VC funds, um, and so you should probably talk to those. Get them to really like you. Get them like, hey, you know what? I love co-investing with Alex, right? And and, and Alex is like, okay, like you know, if I raise a fund, like you know, I can probably get a hundred k, two hundred fifty k check from them, kind of thing, because they know me, they know me well. And when you're raising a fund, one realistically about sixty percent, maybe even seventy percent, maybe even a hundred percent to be fair, right? But sixty percent is usually like the bare minimum. Is they're all gonna be family and friends. They're gonna be people who you, they, they've seen you in action. They believe in you. They're your dentist that you chat with deals all the time for some <laughs> random reason. They're your lawyer who you've been chatting with a million years, and they're like, "Hey, we've seen so many deals, and we just think like you're probably structuring your venture fund in the most exciting way that we've seen in a long time." It could be literally your family. It could be literally your friends, right? Your colleagues, um, your former coworkers, um, because they all know you well. They know how you work and they know how you act, and largely like you raise a bulk of that initial fund off of that um and then co-investors and all that right um and then at the same time you should probably talk be talking to like one or two institutional lps every single week as you're setting yourself up to do so um and the best way to discover that luckily there's a lot of like media these days um at least in 2024 and maybe like late 2023 on the lp world most of the folks we're interviewing are institutional by design right um you have folks like, I think Jason Calacanis has recently decided, like, I'm going to do LP stuff, right? So you can listen to This Week in Startups, or I forget what he's, the new thing he's calling it. You can do that. There's Samir Kaji's Venture Unlocked, um, and I think it, it, the, the new LP version is going to be called LP Unlocked or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that. Um, there's Origins by Notation Capital and Chris. Um, there are There is um, Capital Allocators by Ted Seides. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of these. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I, I can plug in my own because I tend to interview institutional yeah. ones, well, but like super clusters as well. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can like, you can do, you can find all these institutional that way. If you're willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars, there are platforms out there where you can use it to discover LPs. For example, PitchBook, you can find LPs on PitchBook. Um, you can find LPs on this relatively new emerging platform, but for family offices called Fintrix, that's F-I-N-T-R-X, all in caps, I think. Um, at some point, if you do an LP version of this, you probably get Fintrix to spawn mm-hmm. something. Um, Fintrix, please sponsor us, please. Uh, sponsor <laughs> David's escape room and that I will participate. But anyway, keep going. That'll be perfect. Um, but yeah, so like you have all these platforms that are amalgamating things, right? Then you have like Allocate. Samir Kaji is running that like Allocate, right? And that's a great mm-hmm. uh, way of to discover other LPs that want to get access into like the best performing funds. Um, you also have Revere. Revere is doing like, you know, a lot of like happy hours and events and things like that where they help GPs meet LPs, but also their platform by design is helps LPs with portfolio management. So then there's a great way to discover that as well. I will say if you're starting from scratch, it's really hard to find them from the beginning. But once you find one, I think Eric Bond once told me this, which I kind of like it. Um, and I, I think I wrote it in a blog post called like how to uh, how to think about LP construction or I forget the exact nomenclature, but you can type in my name and type in LP construction and that blog post will pop up. And Eric Bond contributed to that where he said like, you know, when you first start off, like what is, I think it's like LPs are like family offices are like cockroaches. Um, you, you, it's really hard. I don't know about the analogy, but like, you know, it's really hard to find one, but once you find one, you find all of them kind of thing. Right. Um, and 
I think it's kind of like that. You, once you find one, you slowly, they introduce you to other folks. You start talking to other people. You start going to events. You start, they start inviting their friends to like double dates or whatever it is. And you just start meeting everyone else. So once you're, you get to like, I would, I would say like 10 LPs, the rest kind of snowballs upon itself. Wow. Uh, I'm just literally taking notes. I learned so much. You should have your own, like you should have you on your show. I know it's not like I'm not smart enough to do that. Um, I am lucky to learn from very, very smart people who have more miles on their odometer compared to me. And so, and they've been very willing to share and mentor and kind of help me grow as well. So I will give all the credit to them. And I'm just lucky to be along for the ride and learn along that journey as well. You grow really fast, by the way. I feel like just fact, like because I feel like you actually put like you actually created program for yourself that's just accelerate your growth. So you kind of launch yourself like into your own launch. <laughs> you know the thing that one of my biggest regrets. So I went to Berkeley for undergrad, um, mm -hmm. and Berkeley is a great institution. But one of my biggest regrets, well, actually two big big regrets. One, I didn't go to any foreign exchange program, so I never got to visit any other place while I was in Berkeley. Um, but the second mm -hmm. part was Berkeley had this create your own major thing. Um, and one of my biggest regrets is like, I, I didn't spend time creating my own major because I think I'd had so much fun creating my own major, but I didn't do that. So when I graduated and this took many years to figure this out, I was like, you know what, let me just create my own degree. Like, and how would I do so? What is the best way to do so? How do I pick my professors? And you know, how do I find ways to see them on a regular basis? Um, so then you I- You're such a nerd, but keep going. I love yeah, I'm, that. I'm, 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 I'm a nerd. nerd. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I'm also- when I preface at the very beginning, I was weird. I'm weird in a lot of ways. If folks are curious on ways in which I am weird, there is a blog post I believe I put out December 2022, which is literally titled Quirks That Make Sense, That Just Make Sense, Quirks That Just Make Sense. Um, and it's all the quirks my friend and I have that I don't think anyone else in the world has. Um, but those are things that we do, right? And um, and so I created my own MBA effectively by learning from people I deeply respected and uh, why they were willing to do. So. Like, I think the biggest thing with like building relationships, if you're if you're looking for a mentor mentee relationship, I don't like walk and go, like, can you be my mentor? Never ask someone to be your mentor. Like, oh, I do that all the time. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, I should not do that. Ask you, but anyway, keep going. You should not do that because as soon as you say, can you be my mentor? There is social intellectual baggage that comes with that because they think in their mind and this is not explicit right they think in their mind oh mentor that sounds like an hour two hours three hours of commitment per week 52 weeks a year and over time i'm a busy individual can i allocate all that time to you who i don't even know kind of thing that becomes really, really <laughs> so you never ask for mentorship um in fact all my like like over time a lot of my like people I like learn from ended up becoming officially like, Hey, David, I'm willing to mentor you kind of thing. Right. But you should never ask for mentorship. Um, what you should do instead is you should get in a coffee chat, have a very specific one or two questions. Don't go like, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes or whatnot? That's a waste of time for most people. Right. But you're like, here are one or two questions that only you can answer and no one else can answer. And then they'll give you advice on those, whatever, one or two questions. Right. And and then after they do that, then you're like, okay, well, two months, it'll probably take me two months to actually implement your advice or think about like, you know, implementing your advice. Let me come back to you in two months. And I'd love to show you the results of your advice. And that is something that sets 90% of mentees apart, uh, or like, you know, the, the top 1% of mentees apart, uh, which is like the follow up. 
most people when they get advice when they get like a book recommendation they don't actually read it like if, if i go like grace give me a book recommendation and then you give me whatever book you give and like most people don't read it they don't listen to the audiobook of it they don't do anything of it right and for mentors out there that advice just goes into the cosmos into the nebula um, but if you respond back and they know it's been put to good use and they actually feel that they've paid it forward. And not only that, maybe you've shared their advice and their book recommendation with someone else. They like that because they're like my just interacting with Grace or just interacting with David has let me has expanded my impact and advice to so many other folks. And that's what they like. And so part of the reason was like, let's do a blog, let's do a podcast and all these kind of things so where, where people share advice with me. And I'm like, I would love to share this with the world because it's so helpful. And this is what you're doing with, you know, um, your podcast as well, Grace, right? And like this LinkedIn Live as well, where people are giving you advice and you're like, I'm going to share with the world. So then the impact is not a one-to-one, -one, it's a one-to-many, um, a lot more. And then over time, if you follow up with that, it's like, hey, I actually implemented that advice or someone I gave your advice to also implemented your advice. Here are the results from that. They're like, tell me more. Like, and they start, they start getting like, it's a feedback loop, right? They start giving you more advice and all of a sudden you just accumulate a bunch of advice and you build your own like curriculum around it. I wonder, okay, so we have two minutes. So, okay, I'm going to have this short. How do you build a long term? Like you kind of explain this by like, you know, if they recommend you a book and then you read it and then you share the feedback of like, you know, this is a great book and stuff. So I wonder how do you translate that into a business partnership or business relationship because a lot of LPs or not LPs, but like a lot of more senior people in any industry, they would give uh, a newbie some like really pro bono advice. And, you know, that's great. But like, they wouldn't treat you seriously to, you know, let's invest together. Let's like, you know, you come work at my firm or whatever. So how do you translate that into a successful business relationship? I will say that if I walk into a relationship thinking I want to turn this into a business relationship, I'm probably approaching it from the wrong perspective. Like the business relationship is the cherry on top kind of thing. I shouldn't walk into a relationship thinking that I want to build some kind of transaction between you and me kind of thing. Um, I don't do that. And that might be shooting myself. In the I probably dropped a lot of could be business partnerships that I could have otherwise had. But I think at the end of the day, like things will naturally come. Um, there's this great um, presentation that Siki Chen at Runway has um, you, you just search up Siki Chen, S-I-Q-I, I guess in, in Chinese, not Siki, but like, you know, in, in, in Americanese, like we say Siki Chen, right? S-I-Q-I-C-H-E-N. Um, mm -hmm. uh, -E um, he had this, he has this presentation, it's in his called on presentations. So you just like search up Siki Chen, Twitter on presentations or whatever it is, you'll find it. And it's like 60 slide deck or something. And one of the, the two slides I love most in that 60 slide slide deck is, most people think like most people think like they think they have an idea of how other people think right which is like you observe reality then you collect facts based on those real that reality and then you you form opinion opinions form opinions based on the facts in which you collect and then you make decisions based on those opinions which were based on those facts and which are based on the reality in which you observed the truth is most people don't think like that right they have opinions first and then they collect facts that fit in those opinions in the world of venture we call those opinions investment theses um they collect facts that fit in those opinions. And then they finally make a decision that makes them feel good. And a lot of people will rationalize, oh, we were completely strategic with this. And we like did all the homework. We did all the numbers. At the end of the day, like, you know, numbers can only get you so far, right? You have to have a certain amount of conviction in, in a person in a relationship. And I will say a lot of the, you could say business relationships that blossom from friendship, mentorship, and all that kind of stuff um, happened because we just really liked each other and the way we thought and we shared frameworks with each other all the time. It's like, here's like, hey, here's this thing I'm thinking about right now. And I give something 
to someone in the raw. And they're like, well, actually, you would formulate, you would change it this way, you change it this way, here's some advice, and you act on that. And over time, you have this like, back and forth thing already. And so when you were like, hey, let's just do a blog post here, let's do a, a, an LP investment together, let's do a deal together kind of thing, right? It becomes very easy, because they know exactly how you think, and they know how you act, how you react to uh, advice and feedback and criticism as well, which is a huge part in any kind of relationship. Um, so I'd say, I don't know, I, I don't know if that was the best answer, but don't approach relationships as if you want to start a business relationship. I love that. On that note, um, I know we're at the time that you mentioned and um, where can we find you? I should have asked you to end with a quote because I feel like your ending was so powerful and so good. And then there was like music playing in the background. Um, but right now, like I know you're in a, in a rush. So can we just, can you just let us know where can we find you to learn more? Yeah. Uh, I'm everywhere. Um, I, I spend Twitter? a lot of time I as a on Twitter? investor. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, email. What's your um, Twitter? Twitter is Cup of Joe. So it's like C-U-P-A-Z-H-O-U. Um, that's my Twitter. Um, I, I guess like as Grace mentioned, I have an Instagram as well. Um, you can probably like it, it's it becomes pretty obvious what my thing is. I'm not going to try to promote my Instagram. There's nothing I regularly post on Instagram anyways, but I'm everywhere. So I, and I check all my messages um, and my goal is to like respond to everyone unless it's this clearly. Is not you, right. Is this you? No, Don't um, mine's not private, um, but like. I try to respond to every message that seems genuine. There are a lot of like salesy spammy ones that are like clearly spammy that I'm like, I don't respond to those. But if, if there's a genuine like relationship reaching out, like, Hey, you know, I heard you on venture with grace kind of thing. Right. And I'm like, and this is what I thought about it. And I'm like, okay, I'll respond to that. I'll respond to every single one. Um, sometimes it takes me a bit longer, but I try to respond to things within 48 hours. But anyways, um, that's where to find me. I do have to run, but Grace, okay. this has been so fun. Thank you so much. Please come to my event in February 15, giving my event a shout out. It's not escape room, but one day it will be. Okay. Have fun. I will try to be there. I know you gave me the invite already, and I was like, I need to balance my schedule out a little bit. Yeah. But as of now, I'm like 90% in. So if okay. for those based in the we'll, we'll, area, make it, we'll make it uh, 100%. I will personally give you a right to the bar. We'll write the bar together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take um, it. I'll take it. All right. Everyone, okay. take care. Stay awesome. Okay. Um, Grace, Stay Hat, awesome. thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Bye, David.